Welcome to Broadband Conversations, the podcast where I get to talk to leading women who are making a difference across the technology, innovation, and media industries. You'll hear us talk about what we're working on, what's on our minds, what's important to us, and what we think is next for the future. My name is Jessica Rosenworcel, and I am a commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission. And today, my guest is Sarah McBride. Now, Sarah is an author, an activist, and one of the most visible voices for trans equality. She's also a history maker. She was the first openly transgender woman to intern in the White House, and she's also been the first openly transgender person to address a major party convention. So now, if you're wondering, Commissioner Rosenworcel, I thought this podcast was all about tech. Well, it is. But you know, I think technology isn't just about motherboards and fiber cables. Technology is about how this tool can connect us, help us communicate, help us thrive, and really be who we are in the most authentic way possible. So I'm so honored to have Sarah join us today and talk about this intersection of technology and activism and community. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. So I want to roll back and do a little first things first and ask you to share your story about how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, to, to condense things, um, I'm someone who's known that they're transgender my entire life. I remember as a young person lying in my bed at night that I would wake up the next day and be myself, that my family would still be proud of me, and that I could still dream big dreams. Because as a young person, I was a voracious reader of history. And as I read the history books, I marveled at the scope of social change that filled their pages. But I also became very aware very quickly of the fact that no one quite like me had ever made it very far. And I think like so many young LGBTQ people, I wondered whether the heart of this country was big enough to love someone like me as I became more and more aware of the fact that there was something about me that that society disapproved of. And so I kept my gender identity inside. I told myself that if I could make it worthwhile for other people by making a difference in my community, that those things would somehow fill the incompleteness and void in my life. Um, eventually, though, the, the pain and that incompleteness became too much. And I came out um, first to my family on Christmas Day in 2011 and then to my campus community uh, at the end of my term as student body president in a post on my personal Facebook page and then uh, as an op- in an op-ed in the student newspaper at American University. And that experience really pushed me into... Uh, into advocacy, into trying to utilize my story and the stories of others to open hearts and change minds and hopefully move equality forward. So I began working first in my home state of Delaware uh, and then nationally to push forward LGBTQ equality because for me, as I looked around my campus, my community, and, and this country, it was clear that the experiences I had of a welcoming and supportive family, of a welcoming and supportive campus community, of opportunities and potential before me, that that was an exception. Uh, And it shouldn't be a privilege to keep your family or be able to stay in school or be safe from violence. And so I wanted to make sure that that I was pushing forward equality to make sure privileges that I have are a right guaranteed to everyone, no matter their gender identity or sexual orientation. And that led me to the White House, to to the state legislature in Delaware, and now to the human rights campaign where I advocate for the LGBTQ community at the local, state, and federal level. Thank you for sharing that story. Now, I want you to tell me a little bit 
how your story interacts with technology. In other words, how do you use it every day and how has it impacted what you've just told us? You know, I think that technology has played a unique role in both the formation of the LGBTQ community, but also the progress of the LGBTQ movement. Um, I know as a young transgender person, very much in the closet, it was through the internet that I was able to understand more fully uh, the, the identities and the facts about myself that I was struggling with. It was through the internet that I was able to, to gain a glimpse into the history of transgender people and in and a glimpse into the to the community that exists in the lives of transgender people, real transgender people across the country. I can't imagine how isolating it must have been 30, 40 years ago to be growing up as a transgender person and not really have access to, one, information, but two, examples of transgender people living and being embraced by their families, living and being uh, loved, living and being able to pursue their dreams. And while the stories were few and far between back in, in 2010, 2011, 2012, when I was coming out, um, they were still there. And I was able to access them, access them through technology and through the Internet. It's so And powerful. I think in many ways, it, it's incredible. And I think it's been a, a life-saving tool for the community, a life-changing tool for the community. Um, because LGBTQ people exist organically throughout society, which is both a driver of, of change, but also can result in feelings of isolation because LGBTQ people aren't, you know, typically born into and raised by LGBTQ parents and an LGBTQ family. And so the Internet is our gateway into finding one another, finding community, finding ourselves. Um, and I think it's through the democratization of the microphone through social media in many ways that, you know, we certainly see challenges, but we also see opportunities for transgender people of all different backgrounds to have access to the microphone when so often in the past traditional gatekeepers to media have kept us from being able to share our opinions and our stories. Oh, that's such good stuff. I mean, community used to be about geography. And it's amazing how Internet connections have changed that. And in the community you're discussing, that's just really profound change. But it also really speaks to just how powerful it is to make sure that we're all connected with broadband. And so could you just talk a little bit about the power of broadband and having those connections when you are part of the LGBTQ community? Yeah, you know, access to broadband was critical to me. Um, I was fortunate enough to be an LGBTQ person who was raised in, in, in a family who had early access to broadband. Um, but one of the challenges so many LGBTQ people face is that as LGBTQ people, as I mentioned, organically exist throughout the country. We exist in, in families of every economic background, we, including families, uh, uh, in, uh, families in poverty. After we come out, we might be more likely, uh, in many instances, to be living in poverty than particularly transgender people than the overall general population. We're organically existing throughout communities, including in many rural parts of the country. And so for so many LGBTQ people, access to broadband is still not a reality. Um, they're still not able to access that community in the same way that so many of us who have been fortunate enough to have access to broadband have been able to. Um, and so there's so much work to make sure that we extend 
the ability to access that community to everyone, no matter their economic background and no matter where they live in this country. Oh, hear, hear. And, you know, it's not just that broadband's democratizing. Having access to wireless devices is also a part of that. Mm -hmm. And the FCC has had this program for a while called Lifeline, and it helps lower the cost of phone service for individuals who cannot afford to pay. And it's really based on the idea that it could be a lifeline just to have communications. And I know that having something as simple as a phone can really help vulnerable and underserved populations get access to help, assistance, housing, medical care. And I think of this as being something that's especially important for LGBTQ youth. And as you probably know, there is a high population of homeless LGBTQ youth, and many of them rely on this program called Lifeline. So to the extent you're familiar with it, I'd love it if you talk about the ability of a phone to really be a lifeline and the FCC's program and why it's so important. Yeah, you know, it, it, your, your, your question is, is, a, is an important one um, because, as you mentioned, a, a large portion, as many as 40 percent, of homeless youth are LGBTQ, um, and that's a mix of a number of different factors. It's a mix of family rejection, um, institutional barriers to employment and stable shelter, and access to um, uh, wireless communication can be life-saving um, and life-changing for so many people, particularly those who find themselves um, uh, facing housing insecurity, living on the streets, or finding themselves in unsafe conditions. Um, access to, to a, a wireless device can be accessed, can be the gateway into finding employment that can help you uh, ensure that you are able to get the services and goods that you need to live and thrive. It can also be access to safety um, and sanctuary. Uh, so often we know when an LGBTQ person is on the street that, that they're going to be calling around, seeking, particularly for transgender people, seeking shelters um, that are inclusive of LGBTQ. Uh, because so many LGBTQ people oftentimes will face discrimination in homeless shelters, you know, you can't just walk around and go to different shelters on a given day asking what's your policy. And so being able to call in advance to make sure that it's going to be a welcome, safe space if you're someone who is homeless, um, to, be able to, access, to be able to access that information is critical. And then finally, the LGBTQ community, particularly transgender people, are facing an epidemic of violence. Um, it's violence that is hate-based and hate-influenced. In many cases, it's violence that is the result of particularly transgender people, and in particular transgender people of color, being pushed into circumstances where they're more likely to be isolated, alone, and at risk of violence because of um, a need to engage in survival economies, uh, survival underground economies, because they've been pushed out of stable employment. And so uh, an access access to a wireless device might be a person's sole access to the structures in society we've created to protect the health, safety, and well-being of people because they don't necessarily have access to other kinds of, of institutionalized regulations and, 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 and support systems that help protect their safety. And so when you're pushed into underground economies, having access to that phone um, is critical if you find yourself at risk of violence. Absolutely. And, you know, that conversation you just brought up feels so modern, but I think what's really interesting is in the very first sentence of the Communications Act, which dates back to 1934, 
it talks about communications for the safety of life and property. And to me, these ideas mm -hmm. are just really fundamental. We just have to make sure they apply to everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is without question access to information, access to other people is at the heart of our democracy and it's at the heart of our ability to live our lives, whether that's in pursuing our dreams or whether that's in accessing the goods and services we need or whether it's in ensuring that we have um, uh, access to safety and, and protection from the structures we've created to, to, to serve us. And so having, an access to the, having access to the phone, particularly for communities that are disproportionately likely to live in poverty, disproportionately likely to face housing insecurity and homelessness, that, that access is, is, is integral and life-saving. All right. Now let me move you from access to openness, because I want to go there and I want to talk about net neutrality. And, of course, that's the idea that your broadband provider can't block websites, throttle your speed, or censor online content. And I'm a supporter of net neutrality. And we know that it's an important principle for connecting people, building movements, for sharing stories. And I'd love it if you talked a little bit about how net neutrality might be significant for the kind of work you're doing. One of the only ways that we can reach everyone everywhere is for all of us to have equal access to each other's stories, each, equal access to each other's um, uh, information and lives um, when we put them out there on the Internet. Um, so many aspects of the change we've seen as a community has been a byproduct of the fact that, that people have been able to access films and stories, videos and and, and the written word that have reinforced the simple fact that LGBTQ people are people, that have added nuance and complexity to our humanity and our lives. Um, because when you know someone, it becomes much more difficult to hate them. Absolutely. Um, you hear their story, it becomes much more difficult um, uh, to, to, to want to stand in the way of happiness and safety and dignity for them. And so ensuring that everyone has equal access to all of those different tools for social change um, is critical as we continue to have conversations as a country on, on issues of LGBTQ equality. And the risk of censorship is particularly um, significant for the LGBTQ community, because so often we see these conversations deemed as, as um, um, not worthy of broad conversations, as, as, as too uh, mature or, or too limited in, in or, or excuse me, too often we see these conversations deemed as too mature for everyone to access. Too often we see, including political leaders, we see people push these conversations to the side and say, this isn't appropriate for the broader community. Um, and we know that at the end of the day, no one's humanity is too mature for everyone to hear. No one's humanity is, 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 too, is inappropriate for all of us to understand. The diversity of our society and the diversity of our community is age appropriate no matter who we're talking about. And so when we're talking about net neutrality, when we're talking about the ability to access um, without increased need to, to pay or any kind of censorship, we're talking about the ability of everyone to be able to access information on the full diversity of our humanity uh, and for our community, given the importance of the internet in opening hearts and changing minds, it's a critical issue. Oh, that's so beautifully stated. I just, I just love the way you captured all of humanity and talking about some issue before this agency. 
very well done. But now I'm going to take you to something terribly mundane. Because before you go, I want to ask you a few questions that I ask everyone before the Mm. end of our time together. And this is my question. Do you recall what the first thing you did was online or on the Internet? I think the first thing I did on the Internet was there, I, there are two things that come to mind, and I'm going to... You can do two. Uh, you can totally do I'm two. I'm going to do two. I mean, the okay. first thing on my mind that um, that I remember was obviously opening up email, um, which was a powerful tool years later for me to reach out to folks and to my friends in particular that I wanted to tell before I posted my note publicly to share my information, um, to share my story, to come out to them. Wow. And some of the first memories I have as probably a uh, eight or nine year old was um, opening up and hearing opening up AOL and hearing you've got mail. Um, but the second thing that really sticks in my mind is going online and searching the word transgender. Um, you know, I I came of age as the internet was becoming available. Uh, to the masses. Uh, and one of the first things I did was to search out this word that I had heard whispered and uh, uh, mentioned under folks' breath, under folks' breath before. Um, and for me, that was incredibly important in my own life and in my own evolution as a person. The internet gave me the words that I can use to describe who I am it gave me the hope in understanding that there was something I could do about this fact that I had known about myself. And it gave me access to an incredible, beautiful, diverse community of people, even before I was ready to enter into it as, an, as my authentic self, to see that there, were, there was hope that I could live my truth, be loved, and dream big dreams all at the same time. Oh, my goodness. So I introduced that by saying it was mundane, and you just went and you hit it. That was so powerful. So let me try one more time by asking you this one. What was the last thing you did on the Internet? I mean, it can be online shopping or the weather. You can go there if you'd like. The last thing I did on the Internet was I uh, I was also doing emails. Uh, um, I was, some things uh, never change, right? Some things never some, change. Some things never change. <laughs> particularly as you get older and you, and you start working and you have to do emails constantly. I know um, they multiply like exponentially. Emailing right. my colleagues. Uh, all right. All right. Now, now here, here I want you to go big, which you seem really good at doing. So what do you want the future of the Internet and digital life to look like? My hope for the future of digital life is for us to figure out how we as a society can ensure a truly equitable and free marketplace of ideas for all of us to bring our whole selves to. Um, I think the challenge we face right now is that we've democratized the microphone, which is critical and I think so important, particularly for communities like the LGBTQ community. But I think we have to figure out as a society how we ensure that every person feels safe and comfortable and welcomed into that marketplace of ideas. Um, because I think the, the flip side of, of what we've achieved is that we've allowed for, in many cases, bullies um, and, and, and individuals with hate in their hearts to have an increased platform to target 
uh, to ridicule, to mock, and to foment discrimination. And so I think we as a society have to figure out how we harness the positive, positive potential of, of, of the Internet and of the digital age in having important conversations and allowing people to be heard who haven't been heard, who have been pushed aside, who have been unseen and invisible to society for too long, how we harness that potential while mitigating the risk of creating an environment where people of different backgrounds don't feel like they can bring themselves to that marketplace of ideas because of discrimination, because of ridicule, because of bullying and harassment. Um, and I think that that's one of the most fundamental questions before us as a society and as a democracy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I also like your optimism, but your uh, recognition that we have work to do because we do. So that wraps up another episode of Broadband Conversations. Thank you for being here, Sarah. Thanks to everyone for listening. Take care.